This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can have what it says I can have. Today, I'm ready to receive the incorruptible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in my life. I'll never be the same again. Come on. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name, amen. Your best shout ever. Well, good morning. Let me get my bearings here for a second doing this. Okay, I'm just going to kind of wander around for a minute to get a little used to this. You guys look like a friend that's lost weight or something. I don't know. It's just, it's so different around here. But you look good. You sound good. Today is Seth's third birthday, so we're thrilled to be here. Um, and uh, it'll tell you what's really cool about it is back home in Savannah, we're doing a series called Sunday School where we're preaching the childhood, felt board, gold star, church tales. Many of us were taught as kids, but we're teaching them in adult ways and life-transforming ways. And so I pre-recorded a sermon that they're showing on video back at my church in Savannah so that I could be here with you guys. And I preached out of Genesis 5, and I talked about the lineage from Adam to Noah. Four years ago, I heard Pastor Mark preach that same text and verse, and it was that sermon that inspired me to name my son Seth. The Holy Spirit spoke to me during his message that I would name my son Seth. And so here I am today preaching to you in Atlanta on Seth's third birthday in Pastor Mark's church back home preaching Genesis 5 at the exact same time. I'm preaching in two places right now at the exact same moment, and I'm preaching the same text and verse. So it's crazy. I don't know what's going on in here. It's a wild, weird world, but it does, man. It looks so good in here, sounds so good. I know one thing. I want to be Ryan Holderman when I grow up. Where's he at? That dude's got an anointing. I'm glad he's here. Um, man, how gracious has God been to Believer's Church? And it's fun from afar because you guys see it every week, and we get to see it in, in jumps. And so uh, it's just awesome, too, what's happening here in the spirit, too. It's just obvious that God's presence here, his presence is here, and many of you are feeling the impact and evidence of that. Um, I don't want to delay. I want to get right into the Word. So go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter... Excuse me. I'm trying to preach the series I'm preaching at home. Uh, Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, uh, starting at verse 5. And I just felt something very specific this week. And I don't feel my whole message is supposed to be about it, but just strategic for somebody. The Lord sent me up here to talk to you about prayer this morning. And I want to say this to somebody who's frustrated with the reality that God knows what you need before you ask. Okay, somebody in the room is frustrated about that. It, it, it discourages you from praying. I don't know who you are. But let me just say this to you. Jonathan and Bethany Eubanks visited us last week, and we went and took them to Spanky's in Savannah. Who, who, somebody? Anybody knows Spanky's in Savannah? So we took them to Savannah, took them to Spanky's, and they were telling us about an encounter they had in Savannah at one of our Starbucks where the baristas were just flowing so smoothly they knew every customer's name. They knew every customer's order. And as people were flowing in and out of this busy Starbucks in Savannah, they were telling inside jokes, asking how their dogs were, asking how their kids were. And as Jonathan was telling me this story, it just came to my mind, especially the next morning in prayer, that that's the love of God towards us in prayer. Although it might frustrate some of us that God knows what we need before we ask. It's actually a sign of his relational love. 
It's actually a sign of his relational love that he knows you enough that he knows what you need before you ask. But here's the deal. You still have to place the order. You still have to place the order. And here's the best news. Somebody paid for the coffee. Somebody paid for the cup before you got there. And that's one of the most beautiful things about prayer is that we don't have to worry whether or not we deserve an answer because we pray in Jesus' name and his name is the only name that deserves an answer. His name always deserves an answer. So you don't have to worry whether or not you deserve an answer. His name does. And so it's a simple thing to remember, but his knowing of your need before you ask is a sign of relational love. So every time you get frustrated and you're wondering, is this worth it or is this even something I should be doing? Is this a meaningless ritual? No, it's meaningful relationship. And like a good father, he's excited to know what you need before you ask him. And if you're wondering whether or not you should know how to pray better, here's good news too. Romans 8 says, in our weakness, the spirit inside of us interprets our weak prayers. And he gives intercession on our behalf because God gave us a spirit when we believed. He deposited inside of us a spirit who knows the mind and will of God. So when I just obey and pray, and I pray in his name, 1 John 5, I can have confidence knowing that he hears me and when I ask, I receive. Therefore, I should just ask because those who ask, receive. And where you knock, the doors open. Okay, all right. So that's a quick five-minute sermon on prayer right there for you. I don't know who's frustrated about prayer in here this morning, but I know this. Somebody in the room this morning feels like something's just missing. Somebody in the room this morning just feels like something's just missing. You're doing everything you're told to do. You're lifting your hands. You're doing the fast when everybody fasts. You're serving. You're participating. You're obeying. You're trying to obey. But something feels like it's just still missing. And I want to minister to you about what prayer really is. I hope I can just lay some things out there that will be applicable to your heart, that we can make some decisions in this room today. Not that we'll just hear something and think it's good and not do anything with it, but that we can make some decisions about things that are going to shift and change in our life. So if you go to Matthew chapter 6 with me, I'm going to show you some things that I think are profound and powerful. And this is Jesus' teaching on the Lord's Prayer from the Sermon on the Mount. So let me give you a little background on this. Jesus has just started his earthly ministry he has just collected a few disciples. They're still trying to figure out who he is. Most of them believed that he was probably the Messiah, probably the descendant of David. Therefore, he was going to overthrow Roman rule and Sanhedrin influence. He was going to reestablish an earthly kingdom, and he's coming as a new rabbi, teaching the law in a way they've never heard him teach before. So I don't know if you've ever been somewhere, and you're listening to somebody who you're so just in awe of, you hardly hear what they say, but this is one of those situations. They have seen and heard the miracles that have been happening. Some of them were present whenever he was baptized in the Jordan River. Heaven was ripped open. The Father spoke and said, this is my son whom I love and I'm very well pleased. Some of them were present at a wedding where they had run out of wine and all of a sudden there were gallons upon gallons upon gallons and the master of the banquet said, blessed are those who keep the best wine for last. There's things happening, words being spread, and now Jesus is giving his major interpretation upon the most important parts of the Torah, the law, and now he gets to prayer. And what we're going to see in a minute that I believe is going to be very encouraging to you is that everybody didn't hear everything he said, and they definitely didn't take it to heart. So I know you've heard a million sermons on prayer throughout your life, but hopefully today it's going to stick in the hearts of some of us who are going to hear it again. 
But he says to them in this passage, starting at verse 5, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Let me give you something very important that's not even a part of my sermon right now. Mark chapter 11 says that we can have faith and believe that if we speak to the mountain, it'll be cast into the sea. But if we have unforgiveness in our heart toward anyone, we should shut our mouth, go forgive them, come back and pray. Mark eleven twenty five. you have unforgiveness in your heart. You're wondering why your prayers feel like they're hitting a ceiling. It's because they are. They're hitting a ceiling of unforgiveness. So we have to deal with that first. He says, if you withhold mercy, I withhold mercy. But our spirit is in such a critical state when we are withholding and keeping a record of wrongs against others. Where we look at our own hearts and we want mercy. We look at other people's hearts and want justice. We want swifter, harder action for others and more soft, merciful action for ourselves. And we go to prayer. But instead what God wants is there to be a, tender, a tenderizing of your heart where you can forgive as you've been forgiven. Every Sunday when we lead people into a relationship with Jesus at our church, we pray three things. Lord Jesus, let me love others the way you've loved me. Let me do for others the way you've done for me. Let me forgive others the way you've forgiven me. Make him Lord of my life. When you pray, what does that mean? It doesn't mean if means when. means when it happens. And then he shows us when it should happen by telling us how we should pray, saying it's a daily request. It's a daily reliance on many things, but it's an acknowledgement that his will is better than mine. It would be better for heaven to come to me than... Let me say this for a moment. I got so stirred up while you guys were worshiping. Michael said, I'm ready to hear the word. I said, well, I'm ready to hear worship. You do your part. I'll do mine. And he did his part, so hopefully I can do mine. But I got so stirred up while he was leading worship and Olivia was leading worship. The whole team did such a great job this morning because I just kept thinking about the fact that heaven lives inside of us. And I just kept getting stirred up about that, that heaven lives inside of us and that whether you realize it or not, your eternity has already begun. Your eternity's already begun. That at the moment you became a Christ follower, eternity came to live inside of you. And so whenever we bow before him on a daily basis and say, Lord, I can do nothing without you. I can do nothing without you. 
I'm not prepared for temptation. I'm not prepared for evil. I'm not prepared to provide for my family. I'm not prepared to face people who I need to forgive. I'm not prepared. I'm not prepared. I'm not prepared. I can do nothing without you. That whenever I pray those types of prayers, what happens is a piece of heaven is broken off inside of me, and I carry heaven around with me all day long when I say, Your will be done. Eternity's already started for me and I'm stirring myself up and I'm doing the very same things in that moment that I'll be doing one day forever. And so what I'm doing, if you want to think about it this way, is I'm tasting heaven. I'm tasting heaven. And you can't get that taste out of your mouth. When you pray, when you pray, Do you know he collects your tears? Takes account of your tossings. That's Psalms 56. Collects my tears and counts my tossings. That he sticks nearest to the brokenhearted. He delivers those who are crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but he delivers us from them all. Psalms 34. Do you know that your prayers one day will be collected in an an instrument of incense and will be waved before the throne of God? That's Revelations 8. You need to realize that prayer is something that you can pile up. Something I learned by following this family One of the things I love about being grafted into such a good family is when I first arrived here, I realized this was the kind of family I wanted to have one day. I remember being in Bible college, and I was struggling so bad about whether or not I was called to ministry. I went there for the wrong reasons, and while I was there, the Lord just began to truly call me and show me what I was meant to be and what I was meant to do. And I'll never forget, I was in the middle of a worship service in my Bible college, And this was the only time I could ever say that I went into full intercession, but it was like I was weeping, crying, but no tears were coming out of my eyes. And I saw myself as an 80-year-old man with my grandchildren at my feet, teaching them the Bible. It was one of these life-altering moments for me. And I remember when I met Pastor Gene, first time I ever came to this facility, we were over there at that door. I'd ridden up here with Pastor Mark and a few of the girls, and as they came up that ramp that was designed by some person who has no sense. Um, (laughs) Pastor Gene was at the top of the ramp, and he busted open the door and did something like, whoa, or something he did. And I just remember thinking to myself, that's that's what I want for my family. See, that, that wasn't what I was raised in. It wasn't what I knew. And the Lord had to transform my life and I'm, I'm thankful for where I came from because I'm, I'm so grateful for what whenever things are introduced I'm trying to set you up here for a reality that what your prayer life is like right now if you're in the room you're frustrated it, it can change today I mean it can change today you can walk out of here and it can be different today And it's so good that you're in this environment because it's in environments like this where deposits are made that things do change so drastically. 
And I was here for four years, and the example that I followed is what gave me such a powerful illustration of the things that the Scripture says, that I knew if I lived them, that they would produce great outcomes in my life and great outcomes for my family. And I realized more how powerful it is when you pile up prayers over your kids to see Pastor Gene sitting on the front row and his own granddaughter and children serving in ministry all over this place. It's a powerful picture. And one of the most amazing things I ever saw Pastor Mark do when I first met him was little Stella walked over, and she was probably four at the time, and he put her in his lap, and he said, let me bless you. Let me bless you. And he just began to pray this blessing, and she was saying it word for word with him as a four-year-old little girl. And it was five minutes long. Good Lord. And then I realized that he did this all for all four of his daughters. And one of the most tear-jerking moments I've ever been in in my life is when Olivia married Michael. And Pastor Mark came to the altar of the chapel and he said, Olivia, I've only got one thing left to say to you. And he began to pray that same blessing that he prayed over her all of her life. There wasn't a dry eye in the room. And it inspired something in Megan and I where now every night of Seth's life and now every night over Charlie, from the moment we knew they existed, we began to pray, Lord, we pray that they fear you and they walk in your ways, that they'll eat the fruit of the labor of their hands, that their spouse will be a fruitful and happy vine inside of their home, their children will be olive shoots around your table, the city they live in will be better that they live there, they'll see their hair turn gray and their children's children, they'll choose wisdom all the days of their life, they'll be filled with the Holy Spirit, bearing its fruit, being used in its gifts, being clothed in its power, they'll be a lover of God's word, they'll be devoted in prayer, they'll be a great commissioner of worship, they'll be a leader of leaders and influencer of influencers, they'll be tough, tender, fair, firm, happy, healthy, handsome, humorous, humble, helpful, honest, honorable, they'll think their mama is amazing and their daddy is awesome. We bind and rebuke the plan of the enemy against them. We raise up a hedge of protection around them, a standard for them, angels to watch over them. We plead the blood of Jesus over them. We thank the Lord for them. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And Seth's three, right now he just says, Amen. <laughs> now let me tell you, what I learned was that at times, although, you need to hear me right here, at times, although that may feel mechanical, and at times we will start to pray as a family and it feels dry, we will stop, we'll pause, and we'll say, let's start again. We're in a hurry. Let's start again. Although it's mechanical and sometimes it may feel dry, I know, according to Psalms 56 and Revelation 8, that my prayers are being piled up for my kids. I want you to hear that one phrase this morning. You can pile up your prayer. Some of us, we read the passage that I read to you. And just so you know, I'm not going to exegetically break down that scripture in case anybody here is wondering. He hasn't even talked about the verse he read. Let me tell you why I read it to you. Because you also have to go to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. This is further into Jesus' ministry. This is sometime later. We know from history that Matthew was the first gospel written. More than likely, Mark was the second. Luke borrowed from Matthew and Luke when he wrote his eyewitness accounts. And he records a story where at another time, for another reason, Jesus says almost the exact same thing he says in Matthew chapter 6 at the Sermon on the Mount. But he says it in Luke 11, 
for a totally different reason. And his disciples at that point in the ministry had realized that the difference, the difference in his life and theirs was that regularly he was before God in prayer. And so on a morning, according to Luke 11, 1, where he went to a certain place to pray, his disciples then said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. And at that point, he repeated almost verbatim what he had already said much earlier in Matthew chapter 6. Why am I telling you this? To let you know that even though you don't get it the first time or the second time or the third time that somebody preaches it to you or the fourth time you read it in your scripture or the sixth time you hear it wrote about or talked about or whatever, that the Holy Spirit, if you ask, can seal a truth on your heart. And that's the difference where we say, Spirit of God living in me, you know spiritual truth. And you interpret spiritual truth to me. And although I would normally walk into a church and just listen to a few nice things and not apply them at all today, I pray with expectation, seal them on my heart that I can make decisions in my life that I'll never be the same again. I don't want this just to be meaningless. I want it to be meaningful. Help me in Jesus' name to put these things into practice. And that's such an important thing to pray because many of you are going through the motions, but something feels like it's missing. And I want to share with you just a simple illustration that I think will help you find some ground here. I think it'll speak to you in a profound way. My dad did not grow up in church. His dad was military, met my grandmother in Savannah, Georgia. He was from here, grew up, my grandfather grew up in Hiram, Georgia, went to Hiram High School. Didn't know that until I moved here. Went to the military, met my grandma in Savannah, married her had my dad, they divorced, and both left him. He raised himself, basically, was raised by his grandma, was a troubled kid, and got into trouble all the time, was passed back and forth between his relatives, had no framework for church at all, had no framework for faith, had no framework for what Christ wanted to do in his life, and then had some pretty awful experiences with churches that he visited and went to and attempted to ignite a relationship with God but had one when he died. One of the most powerful experiences my dad ever had was with my mom's family, which was totally the opposite. My mom was one of 12 kids. Her father was a pastor. All of my uncles and cousins, many of them are still in ministry today. All of them attend somewhere, do this, do that. But my grandma and my grandfather truly were patriarch-type people. My grandma especially. And she was famous, I don't know if you had a grandma like this, but she was famous not only for her faith and her prayers, but for her biscuits. <laughs> grandma passed away in 2002, and I'm just going to tell you the truth right now, nobody has been able to cook her biscuits except my mama. And I'll tell you why, because my mama was my grandma's caretaker. My mom would go over, and my grandma was one of them old-school Pentecostal ladies that had her hair down to her knees. Therefore, she had to wrap it up in a bun every day and have it all nice in this little beautiful little ball at the top of her head. And my mom would go over three times a week, wash my grandma's hair, and do it for her. And we would go over there as kids, and my grandma would cook us lunch, and she'd be singing gospel songs the whole time, working in her kitchen. And she raised 12 kids. None of them were boys. So she would test me as a little boy. She'd say, David, put your... Put your arm right here on the table. Let's arm wrestle. I said, let's arm wrestle. She'd slam me every time. When my mom and my dad were dating, 
my dad went to my grandparents' house. They lived on this little farm in Falkville, Georgia. And it was one of those houses that sat up on center blocks. And so my grandma, her kitchen window, where, where her sink was, that overlooked the whole yard and all the barns, was right by these steps that led into a side door. So everybody would walk up these steps, but the person standing in the window couldn't see that far down. That's how high up the house sat on those blocks. And one day, my dad had, had been in the yard with my granddad and was walking back up toward the house. And I think my parents had only been dating at this point. He was still getting to know her family. And they were Pentecostal. So he was getting a big-time education. But all of a sudden, he didn't know what it was. But as he was walking, As he was walking from the yard up toward the house, somewhere in that yard, he tasted heaven. And he didn't know what it was. He didn't know what he was feeling. But then he realized he was hearing a voice. And he realized that what he was hearing was a sweet little Athens, Georgia, 60-year-old voice who had raised 12 kids, who had 30 grandkids at that point, and she was in her kitchen sink washing her dishes and praying for her family and for her children and for her grandchildren. And my dad said that he leaned up against that house and just sat there and listened to her and told my mom he had never felt anything like that before in his life. They were standing in the throne room of God. He was standing on the dirt of a little farm in Falkville, Georgia, but my grandma had walked into the throne of God probably 20 minutes earlier and was piling up her prayers before that throne. And I want you to hear something. You need to know this. Geneva Holcomb, her prayers are still being heard in the, eye, in the ears of God. And they're being heard. And your family members are being heard. The prayers you're praying are being heard. And so every night, even though I know it may be mechanical or may feel like a duty or may feel like something I don't always feel like doing, I know that one day my voice will ring in the ears of God when I'm not even here and my generations and generations and generations that come after me need me to pile up prayer, need me to obey the word, Need me to not to get lost in frustrations of whether he knows what I need or not. Needs me to not be so mechanical and formula-based, but just know that I can trust his word and that whatever I ask, I receive. And not only will it manifest in my family, it might manifest in a future generation that he has a better plan for. So I simply say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and let it be done in the generations that come after me. Here's, here's, here's the, the application of it, okay? You hear somebody tell you you should pray. You hear somebody say, make an appointment with God. Don't miss your appointment. Make an appointment with God. Don't miss your appointment. Set up a time every day that you can go and meet with him and talk to him. That you can read his word and let him talk to you. And that, ooh, that gets us excited, right? But some days, I don't want to go there. Some days I just don't feel like that. Some days it just doesn't feel like it's doing anything, making any difference, or I'm not hearing anything. It really doesn't matter. It simply is about the obedience. But if, if, if I do feel like something is missing, let me just, maybe I can put it in these terms. 
Somebody can preach the best sermon ever. They can deliver phenomenal content, powerful things. They can put things out in front of you that should shake your life and move mountains. But it ultimately is the Spirit of God who seals truth on your hearts. That's what 1 Corinthians 2 says. It says that when we receive Christ, when we receive Christ, when we believe on Him, we receive the Holy Spirit, and that Spirit knows the mind of God, and it will reveal to us spiritual truth. It will help us understand spiritual truth. It'll change our desires, our life and our ways and our behaviors and our habits will begin to shift. And those are the things we pray for, that we're transformed from the inside out. So a lot of times in church, what it may feel like for you is that you're just receiving a bunch of recipes. And I think about this when I think about my grandma's biscuits, because you know, there's a lot of people who have tried to cook her biscuits because they had a piece of paper. And they had little things that other people told them. And so these people have taken that little piece of paper and they've tried to reproduce her biscuits. But nobody's really been able to do it except my mom. And I'll tell you why my mom has been able to. It's because my mom was in the kitchen with my grandma when she wrote that recipe. My mom was standing beside her watching the way she did what she did watching how she did what she did, listening to her sing as she did what she did. My mom was in the room with the chef, watching her and listening to her work the recipe and say the recipe. So at the end of the day, you can be a part of a church, you can serve, you can do all the things you're being told to do, but it is your personal, daily, passionate, powerful walk with Jesus where he wants you to come into the kitchen with him and he wants you to look at the recipe with him and he says, let me tell you how to make these biscuits. Let me show you in my kitchen how to put into practice this word. No matter what you're told, it's this reality that revelation is something the Holy Spirit does. It's why Jesus said to Peter, this was not revealed to you by men. This was revealed to you by my Father in heaven. This was sealed on your heart. And this is the decision we have to make in this room right now. Come on, why don't you shut your eyes right now? Lord Jesus, we have heard your teaching on what it means to pray and when we should pray and how we should pray. We've heard promises about prayer. We've heard guarantees about prayer. We've been stirred up about prayer. But many of us have experienced this before. And the tension in our heart should be, why haven't I made this a regular part of my life, a regular part of my day that I don't miss? I don't miss a day in his presence reading his word walking with him, talking to him, let him talk to, letting him talk to me. And I submit to you, it's because you've been trying to do it on your own. You've been trying to force it on your own. You've been trying to work it by your own strength. But this is a work of the Holy Spirit. This is a moment of dependency to say, Lord Jesus, you've placed in me a spirit that cries, Abba, Father. Like a baby's cry calling out for a parent, wake me up. Wake me up and I'll meet with you. Wake me up and I'll keep my appointment with you. Talk to me, I'll talk to you. I don't want to miss another day of my life without 
being in your presence, about walking in heaven on earth. I don't want to miss another day of my life. Lord Jesus, seal this on my heart today, that I'll never be the same, and that I will find my kitchen. Pray that right now. Lord Jesus, help me find my kitchen sink. What is my secret place? Where can I go in the room and shut the door and not be tempted to perform? That I can go in the room and shut the door and I can taste heaven every day. Help me find my kitchen sink. Seal it on my heart, Holy Spirit. 1 John 2 says that the anointing of the Holy Spirit within me teaches me all things. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for what we've experienced today, this worship, this communion, and this word. Seal these things on our heart today that we've experienced together. And we thank you for your presence. We know that's in this room and what you're doing in our lives and the decisions that you have led us to today. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Did you enjoy that? Thank you so much for joining us on the Believer's Church podcast. If you would like more information about Believer's Church, you can visit mybelieverschurch.com. If there's anything that you need prayer for, please email us at amen at mybelieverschurch.com. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you next week for a brand new message.